Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, November 4th. Today on the program, we focus on food, specifically access to food in Canada for those struggling financially and how we can stretch our food dollars to go further as prices at the cash register continue to climb. We begin with a discussion surrounding the role food banks have played over the past 20 months with a 20% increase in demand year over year. We speak with Kirsten Beardsley of Food Banks Canada. Then we discuss the topic of food insecurity in our nation. We take a big picture look at the issue, including the outside factors that contribute to the problems, separate from the actual cost of putting food on the table. We get the thoughts of Valerie Tarasuk, Professor of Nutritional Sciences from the University of Toronto. And finally, with increasing food costs, how can we make our money go further at the grocery store? We get some tips from Janet Music, Research Coordinator from the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Job losses due to the pandemic have led to high demand on Canada's food banks. Since 2019, the use of food banks here in Alberta has risen over 29%. This morning, we're joined by Chief Network Services Officer with Food Banks Canada, Kirsten Beardsley. Good morning to you, Kirsten. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So how are food banks even able to keep up with the growing demand? It just seems to get higher and higher, and the pandemic certainly hasn't helped. Yeah, and just to put context, 20% higher than pre-pandemic means that there were 1.3 million visits to food banks in one month alone, so March 2021. So food banks, people were going to food banks 1.3 million times that month. Yeah, and food banks really are community hubs of innovation. They really respond to community needs. What we saw were food banks that stepped up to the plate to make sure that their neighbours weren't going hungry. But it's it's a concerning trend, absolutely. So, so, so what are the food banks doing? Because I know that, you know, you, across the nation, they do a bang up job. Uh, but with such an increase, uh, how have they been keeping up or more importantly, have they been keeping up? Yes, they've been there and, and doors have been open and they've been available to provide as much food as people need. Um, and I would say what the reason they've been able to do that is because of the generosity of Canadians. So those who are in a position to help have stepped up to the plate. I think that's the Canadian story. When we know our neighbours are in need, we, we step up. But it really is concerning with the high cost of housing, which I know is a, an issue in Alberta. Um, as you mentioned, a high cost of food. Um, uh, combined with job losses, we're seeing that um, that more and more people are relying on our services. So we're asking for Canadians to not forget us, especially during the holiday season. This is something I just learned yesterday. The first food bank in Canada opened its doors mm-hmm. in Edmonton in 1981. Were food banks meant to be a permanent solution to combating food insecurity back then? Absolutely not. So food banks were set up as a temporary measure to make sure people could get through some tough economic times. And they've been entrenched um, in, at, they've been needed for 40 years. It is, it is a, a milestone. Um, and it's, it's wonderful to celebrate that they've been there for their communities. But what we need to see is good policy solutions that help people move out of poverty. People shouldn't be relying on the food bank long term. You know, when you have job loss, you need supports available um, so that you can move your way out back into the job market and able to purchase food, able to pay your rent. So we need to see policy solutions like support for renters, um, like supports when, you get, when you're unemployed um, or in your low income. You need to be able to pull yourself back out. 
What does the future hold for food banks? We know that all areas of society and business and organizations have to change and more for the times. Do you see a change coming and what would that look like? Um, yeah, I think uh, what we're looking at is um, making sure that we have a strong voice in, in Ottawa and with, with provincial government so that we have those that social safety net in place and our food banks always advocate for that change. In terms of what food banks do, we're seeing um, a lot more investments in making sure the food, there's fresh food, there's a lot of refrigeration being put into food banks to make sure there's a healthy range of food available, lots of choice available for people. So when you do fall on tough times, there's services uh, for you and you have the food you need. Um, but the, the big push is that we want to see the trend come down. It's headed right now in the wrong direction. We need policy so that fewer people rely on the food bank each month. Kirsten, has the clientele at food banks changed, would you say? Is it, you know, are we seeing more people who you wouldn't normally expect to walk through the doors of a food bank? And, and are they coming back more and more often? Um, so there is a bit of a myth that people rely on food banks long term. Um, in general, people, you know, they, they fall on tough times and go for a few months. We saw during the pandemic um, in urban centers in particular, we saw the, a rise in the need of, of families. So clearly families uh, were stretched. Uh, the cost of living is, is high. And so people were coming to the food bank for the first time. Over the, the biggest trend we've seen is that single adults living alone are um, a hugely growing demographic of people who need the food bank. So when you think about it, you don't have that second income to seize through if you do lose your job. Um, and and what we're seeing, too, are people on fixed incomes. So people with pension income, uh, people who are on disability and not able to get into the workforce, those, um, those amounts they're receiving are stagnant, but the cost of living is rising. So we're seeing some pretty disturbing trends. Um, and, of course, none of us want to see uh, the number of children. So 33% of food bank users are children when they only represent 19% of the Canadian population. So there's a lot to be done to address the number of people um, that need a food bank. And what I try to remind people of is it's it's people like you and me. Um, it's our neighbours. I guarantee we all know someone who relies on a food bank. And so um, if you're in a position to help, uh, please do. Kirsten, you mentioned, you know, that the food bank model works through the generosity of Canadians and has met the demand even during these tough times through the generosity of Canadians. That's the donation side. But let's talk about, for example, I know from my personal experience at the Calgary Food Bank, the importance of volunteers at food mm-hmm. banks. Absolutely. And and whatever way you can help out, whether that's your, your time, um, volunteers power the food banking um, system in Canada. There's no doubt. Um, and one of the issues with the pandemic was as people were um, asked to stay home, volunteers weren't as accessible to food banks. And it was a lot for food banks to have to adapt to fewer volunteers. Now, as they've got their um, the, the systems in place to accommodate volunteers safely. If, you've, if you're able to donate time, that's absolutely um, so generous and wonderful. Um, if you're able even just to talk to your uh, friends and neighbours and your kids and your community about you know, the issue of food insecurity and how important food banks are, I mean, that's a great way to support. And of course, if you've got, if you're able to donate food or funds, that's um, always welcome as well. But whatever way you're able to, to support is, is absolutely wonderful. We thank you so much for your time. It's an important discussion. We need to keep having it, especially as we continue to have some difficult times right across the country. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Kirsten Beardsley is the Chief Network Services Officer with Food Banks Canada. You can go to foodbankscanada.ca. And of course, locally, our Calgary Food Bank always in need of money, of support, whether, again, it's your volunteering hours, whatever it might be. But they are able to stretch a dollar, Andy, like... I know you can stretch a dollar. Yeah. The food bank can stretch it even further. I think it's five dollars per dollar donated. Yeah. I think they, you know I'm not sure what the up to date data is, but at the same time, as uh, Kirsten did indicate, maybe you don't have the dollars. Maybe you don't have the dollars to buy extra food at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. But do you have two or four or six hours a week that you can go and help? Stuff the hamper, hampers, hampers whatever right. they need. Because I know we've had this discussion, right? It doesn't have to be a huge time commitment. Yeah. couple hours, they'll take it. And it all adds up, doesn't it, yeah. folks? According to Community Food Centers Canada, one in seven households have faced food insecurity during the pandemic. That's an estimated four and a half million Canadians who have struggled to meet one of the most basic needs. Joining us this morning to help us understand the impact of food insecurity is Valerie Tarasuk, who is a professor in the Department of Nutrition. Nutritional Sciences, Tamarachi Faculty of Medicine at the University of Toronto. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's talk about this. Uh, over the last two years, Canadian government providing $200 million in funding to Emergency Food Security Fund. Does it feel like this money is well spent? Should the government be looking for other avenues to try and combat food hunger? I think the government should be looking at other avenues, no question. Everything we know about charitable food assistance would say that it isn't the solution to food insecurity. And this is a problem that has just festered. It was a big problem before the pandemic. And as you said in your introduction, any indication we've got is that things have gotten worse, but they absolutely haven't gotten better. So no, 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 it's time that we move to a more, a more sustainable and a more effective response. We're going to get to exactly, you know, what that might be, what that might look like. But I'm wondering, Valerie, when we look at this problem and we look at the stats provided by food banks across the nation, does that tell the whole story or do we have to look deeper and look at perhaps other struggles financially people are having that impacts food itself, not the food itself when it comes to the the bills? Well, that's a very, very good question. The First of all, no, it doesn't tell the whole story. What we know from looking at data on food insecurity in Canada is that fewer than a quarter of people who are food insecure ever turn up in charitable food assistance programs. At the early part of the pandemic, Statistics Canada did a survey, and that's where the one in seven number comes from that you quoted earlier. But fewer than 10% of those people reported any use of charity in the last month. Any. And we're talking about breakfast clubs and, you know, other sorts of programs, not just food banks. So when you see these numbers coming out of Food Banks Canada or the local food banks, they seem like really big numbers. But the truth is, when you compare them to the magnitude of the problem, they're small. They're, They're a drop in the bucket. So so there's that issue that food banks, you know, there, there are almost a, a smokescreen in a sense because they are the public face of the problem, but they're only representing a small amount of it. But the other issue that you um, alluded to in your question is, is this a food problem? And when we scratch the surface of uh, households that are food insecure, you know, we identify them because they tell us they're having trouble affording the food they need. But invariably, they're also having trouble paying for their rent, paying utility bills, paying for prescription medications. You know, food's just a symptom of a broader array of financial difficulties. 
So, I mean, it's obviously a, a massive question then. What do we look at? Which, which problem do we try to solve first then? Well, I think we, the problem we need to solve is the underlying one, that we have a substantial number of Canadians living in circumstances with incomes that are insufficient to meet basic needs. That's what it boils down to. Who are they? Well, there's been buckets of research done to identify them. They are people um, who are on social assistance because we've got social assistance programs that are by design insufficient to meet basic needs in many parts of the country. And they're people in the workforce. So working, but in low-wage jobs, maybe precarious workers, you know, short-term, part-time jobs, getting hours here, getting hours there. I mean, we were hit over the head with that problem through the pandemic as we kept hearing about workers, essential workers, who couldn't afford not to go to work mm-hmm. because they needed that money. And that's the, those are the people. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to get to the root of the problem, which is the adequacy of income support programs and our employment standards and wages as they relate to these precarious workers. So is this going to be, obviously, I think it's human nature to say, hey, we'll throw money at a problem and things will be fixed. And we see time and time again how that often works out. Uh, So do we need to really target and make sure the dollars, A, get in the hands and that the programs, and we've seen a lot of government programs kind of fall flat or not be ideal during the pandemic, albeit, you know, was, uh, you know, had to put this thing together really quickly, but that we really think these things out so the dollars are used most effectively? Well, okay, I've got to take you back a step. Yeah. We're, we're already throwing money at the problem. Good point. Mm-hmm. Yes, we, we put 200 million plus another 50 million into these, uh, food distribution programs. But way before any of that, we've got healthcare spending. Somebody who's in a severely food insecure situation will burn up more than double the number of healthcare dollars of a food, food secure person in the course of a year. More than double. So, the the toll that food insecurity is taking on our health care budgets is is palpable and, and, it, and it's preventable. So, you know, it's not like if we started to talk about doing, you know, investing in um, better social welfare programs, if we started talking about that as an investment, we don't need to see it all as new money because some of that money is going to come from what we, what the, the savings are that we reap from having people in better shape. Um, in terms of the support for low-income people. I mean, one of the best examples I can think of is the Canada Child Benefit, a benefit that goes to almost all households in Canada with a child under the age of 18. So low-income households get it, but so do most other households. Um, It it goes to households with, or families, I should call them, with with incomes as as high as 200,000. And we can see that that Canada Child Benefit has been of some help. It diminished the rate of severe food insecurity. So that's people not eating at all. It diminished that rate by one-third when it was first introduced. If we improve the amount of the Canada Child Benefit that we gave to low-income families, that would make a difference here. And we know that uh, just the mere fact that somebody has a child under the age of 18 is enough to increase their probability of food insecurity. So there are... There are programs in place now that simply need to be made more adequate for people at the very bottom end. And, like, the tools are already sitting in our toolbox. We just need to sharpen them and say, okay, this is what we're going to make those tools do now, as opposed to us inventing new programs or creating new funds like this emergency food security money that went to food banks. Now we need to step back and say, okay, how can we spend that money to get to the root problem, which is that people don't have enough money in their pockets?
So there are bigger questions. There are broader issues. Obviously, we can't solve the world's woes in in the next couple of minutes that we have left to talk to you. Uh, But it's, I mean, it's a fascinating conversation. But let's zero back in on the food bank side of things. Are there other things we could do in the short term then, to at least to combat some of the food insecurity that we're seeing, to get food on people's tables? See, I mean, so I think that's a very dangerous question. We've had food banks in Canada since the early 80s. Yes. The first one appeared in Edmonton in 1981. So look at how many years we're talking about mm-hmm. doing things in the short term. Over and over again, the question has been, well, what can we do right now? How can we respond now just to lighten the burden in some way? We've, it's wrong-headed to think that we can do anything that's going to make any important difference. Mm-hmm. We've tried. We've got 40 years of that trying, and it's gotten us nowhere. We've got a problem that's festering because we're not dealing with the root causes of it. So I think, you know, much as it would be pleasing to be able to say, well, okay, I could, you know, I'm going to make a donation this weekend and it's going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Like, it'd be nice to think that, but the truth is it's not going to. Whatever it does will be so short-term, it will literally be a drop in the bucket. We won't be able to see it. So I think we can't afford to, we can't afford, we have to stop that kind of in the meantime thinking because it, it's gotten us to where we are today. Valerie, we can hear the passion in your voice. Yeah, so, what a great quite, conversation. Quite knowledgeable well, what great about. questions yeah. from you, too. And, well, and uh, you know, the effect that this has on so many of us and the impact. Very, very interesting, and we appreciate your time this morning. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. That is Valerie Tarasuk, a professor in the Department of Nutritional Sciences and the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Toronto. The cost to put food on the table is going up, and now more than ever, people need to find new ways to shop savvy. Here to help us understand why the cost of food has shot up so much, and if these prices are here to stay, is Janet Music, Research Program Coordinator, Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Good morning to you, Janet. Good morning. The list is long. Meat, vegetables, dairy, even pasta on the rise. Can we just point exclusively to the pandemic for this increase or, uh, you know, what else could be behind it? Well, certainly the pandemic hasn't helped. Um, You know, there's been a lot of bottlenecking at ports and and a lot of the food that we eat, whether it's produced here in Canada, a lot of the packaging is coming from external trading partners. Mm. And some of that stuff is getting held up in ports around the world. Um, And, you know, it's not just COVID-19, though. You know, you guys had uh, some drought-like conditions. It's been wildfires in B.C. And, and drought in the prairies and floods in Europe. And so it's been a very difficult growing season for many of the foods that we eat. And so that, too, is really contributing to the rise in prices. And then, of course, if we kind of dip back into COVID-19, you know, as we hit vaccine targets and things start opening up again, there's more demand because people are going back out to restaurants and they're celebrating with food. And and I think people just want to return to, uh, you know, normal, whatever the normal is going to look like now. And so, you know, shorten supply, rise in demand, and all of that equals higher prices. And Janet, what about two here in Alberta, obviously a, a very conservative province, and we see this text and we've got a few of them already this morning as we continue to have this uh, related conversation, blaming it on the carbon tax. I mean, it all works together, right? And certainly when, when farmers have to, you know, pay more in tariffs or, you know, in terms of taxes, but more for feed and more for water, more for labor, 
all of that contributes to to rising prices. And so the size of that effect, I'm not really sure, but it would be folly to say it's having no effect for mm-hmm. sure. It's sometimes cliche, Janet, when we say that an issue affects everyone, but well, last time I checked, we all need to eat. Uh, so we have to put food on the table, and depending on the size of your family and the, the cost increases, it's very difficult. So any tips from a professional standpoint on, on how we can save money and stretch those dollars out when we're at the grocery store? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, everything old is new again, I would say. And so, you know, right before the COVID-19 pandemic shut everything down, we were really talking about how people need convenience when it comes to food. So, you know, they're they're paying a bit more, but they're ordering online or they're only going in once and they're getting a big load of groceries and, and they're good for the week. Well, can't really afford to do that now. And so people are really spreading out their shops throughout the week. And so going to different stores and price comparing different products and couponing really big now. So people looking for those products that they still want to enjoy and looking for discounts and flyers and online flyers. And then, of course, there's those, you know, stickers that they use tonight or enjoy tonight and kind of buying those products that are just at the end of their shelf life and using them really soon. But you can get a really good discounts on especially meat and dairy. So there are definitely deals to be had within the grocery stores. I mean, you know, we've always been told stay out of the aisles, go around to the outside. That's where you're going to get your fresh veg and your fresh meat and that sort of thing. Is it getting better in terms of packaged food or the options that we have that maybe are a little lower cost? Because let's face it, even fresh vegetables, they're not cheap. No, you're right. And in in the center of the aisle is actually not that much cheaper than than shopping around the the perimeter. And you know, if you buy frozen veg, just as good as fresh veg and they keep a li- little bit longer, right? And so, you know, I don't know how realistic it is if you have two or three children and you're you're driving them, you know, mom and dad taxi all over to their sporting or or arts programs and, you know, go home and cook from scratch, right? And so many of us, you know, utilize those center aisles to make full, you know, nutritious meals. And of course, the treats are there as well. But, you know, what you're seeing in the center aisle is this idea of shrinkflation, which is a stealthy way of kind of raising prices. So, you know, first you have a, a package of cookies or a bag of chips and it's a certain size. Well, the size stays the same, but the cookies inside start to shrink. Um, and then slowly the volume of the package then shrinks, but the price remains the same. And so while it doesn't look like prices are rising as fast in center store aisles, the volume for price is actually um, not the same as it was pre-COVID. Very tricky time and a timely topic and uh, any advice appreciated. Thanks for your time, Janet. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That is Janet Music, Research Program Coordinator, Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. One in seven people have faced food insecurity during the pandemic, and a program here in Calgary is aiming to help address hunger at the community level. Alice Lamb is co-founder of Calgary Community Fridge, and she joins us now. Good morning to you, Alice. Good morning. So can you tell us, what is the Community Fridge program, and what inspired you to launch the program? Yeah, it's very simple. It's an outdoor fridge, freezer, and pantry located on Centre Street in the neighbourhood of Crescent Heights. It's 100% volunteer run and donor driven and there's no barriers, you know, there's nobody, no staff, anybody can go 24-7. 
Um, and it's completely uh, thought up by my friends and I who, you know, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of families through our volunteer work just really struggle to get enough food, especially with rising costs and lowered income. So this is just one way, kind of like a little free library that we figured we could help. And Alyssa, is it, uh, am I stating the obvious? Is it like the community pantry? For example, I live in Coventry, we've got a pantry, but it's obviously for dry goods. So this, you have a fridge, you can put far more important items in there for people to feed them and their families. Absolutely. We are able to have more varieties and we're also able to have some frozen prepared foods as well. And having the fridge allows local businesses um, and charities who have food production facilities to drop off prepared meals as well. How has the usage of the community fridge changed during the pandemic? Have you seen a change? I will say that because demand is so high, there are often times when people come to the fridge and it's empty. But something that's been really great that's come out since the pandemic started is that there are four other fridges around the city now that are starting or have already started. So there's one in Bowness, one in Roscarock, there's one in Bridgeland, there's one starting in Kensington, and even one in the Beltline. And so um, it's been great to see community members kind of help decrease the demand for our single fridge by creating more solutions in their communities as well. Love this. It's brilliant. How do we help? Can we help? As the holidays come, if anybody has the ability to do a food drive, you know, non-perishable foods, we can always use more of those items. And if you can't make it to the fridge or you can't do a food drive, then we have a GoFundMe. The link is in our Instagram bio. Anybody can make a donation, whether it's a dollar, five dollars, it all goes a long way. We've had Um, Lots of junior high school clubs raise about 2,000 individual pieces of non-perishable food items by just having each kid bring one or two items, right? So it's been really cool that way. Alice, I'm wondering, you know, we respect and and, uh, we admire and uh, do what we can to support the Calgary Food Bank, but I want you to talk about one of the key differences when it comes to Calgary Community Fridge, and that is the uh, part that you touched on earlier, that it's not staffed by anyone, and there's a, a certain level of anonymity when it comes to those folks using it. Can you talk about the importance of that? So there's still a lot of stigma with regards to accessing social food services. So some people may not be able to access things like the food bank or other nonprofits just due to their um, personal desire. They don't want to go to, or be seen at a food bank. But there's also the other case where um, those places usually require some sort of application, proof of income or photo ID, which a lot of people don't have. And then thirdly, there's a mobility issue, right? Like where a lot of seniors, a lot of single parents, they just can't make it to the food bank or the depot to grab a big bucket of food or a big box of food, right? And so our fridge is a more nestled in the community approach. It's meant to serve the folks in our community directly, but obviously right now with the pandemic, we're serving a much larger population. Um, However, it just gives people that little bit of flexibility and anonymity, like you said. Wonderful initiative. Thanks so much for telling us about it, Alice. No problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Alice Lamb, co-founder of Calgary Community Fridge. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.